Okay, so what can you tell me about Bruchko, the book? He reading the Bible in uh, Hebrew and Greek, or er, Greek and Latin. Yeah, not Hebrew. Hebrew. Or is Maybe that later? might be later. Yeah, but is that when he goes back after he got rejected and he's reading about the Mongol Indians and he's like, oh my gosh. Yes, yep. And then he's like, that's the boss maker. Right. He was a missionary guy, and he comes to visit, and he talks to them all about missionaries and stuff like that. And he's like, you need to go help these people, or they're probably on your hands as a nightmare, and he decides to become a missionary. Okay. <clears throat> so, he feels that, what would you call that? That his desire to become a missionary. Calling. Calling is good. Okay. Called by who? God. Um, yes. So God's plan. What is a missionary? Okay. It's a missionary. Who what? Okay, yes. In a very um like linguistic Definition of the word missionary, yes. What's a missionary in the Christian context? Yes, okay, where does that come from? So if you. They're on a mission to tell about God. Okay, where does that mission come from? God. Yes, how do you know that that's. that it's a mission from. Yes. No, Gideon's right. There's a verse, right? So oh, the Bible tells yes. you. Yes, I remember now. What's that called? You remember? Um, the Great Commission. Yes, the Great Commission. 
which your Jesus told his disciples and anybody who follows him afterwards that their job is to go into all the world teaching the gospel and baptizing in his name. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Okay, right. So what is your picture that you have in your mind when you hear the word missionary? That verse. It wasn't because you didn't say that verse. I know. So what's well, the real is. picture that you have in your mind when somebody... Somebody going to a foreign country. Okay, good. Because that's typically what we picture in our mind. Is... Um, spreading... To foreigners. Yeah. But it can also be non-foreigners, right? Yes. So, let me ask you this. Do you know any missionaries? Yeah. Yes. Do you know any missionaries in your town? Um, I don't know where they live. I don't even know. Let's think about the definition. What's the Great Commission's definition? To teach people about God. Oh, then there's yes. many missionaries. Yes, a lot. Okay, right. So you would be a missionary, right? Because you teach people about God. Yes. Um, big missionary. Typically, though, I, at least I would hope, that most of the people I'm teaching already know and have accepted the gospel. Because usually people who come to Tuesday night already know about Jesus and they want to learn more. Or their parents told them they're going to learn more. Right? But what about Sunday? What about people teaching on Sunday? Yes. Do you think people come into the church who don't know Jesus? Yes. Okay. What about when he does a funeral service? Are yes. there people there that don't know Jesus? Yes. Yes. Okay. Those are really good. Right. And then we also, every year we do a baptism. Isn't that part of the Great Commission? Okay. So, just to break your the box that your mind is in to make you realize, okay, a missionary isn't just our, our archetypal idea of somebody going out into the jungle to tell somebody. Although in Bruce's case, that's what it is, right? That's his job is to go out into the jungle. So what does he then do after he realizes that this is his calling? Okay. And they're like, no. Right. They reject him. So he thinks. Well done. Yeah, he thinks I did my best, didn't make it. He's like, I'll just go to college. Yeah, and then he reads a bunch about specifically about Indians. In South America, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So 
what is that? Because then he has that, and he and he goes to Venezuela, right, to go to the out there and meet Indians, hoping to meet up with this missionary that's gonna guide him around. But he didn't come, right? Yep. And how long does it take him to finally even meet some Indians? A long time. What's a long time? Isn't that like, like a week? Something? I thought it was like months. From when he first realizes that this is his calling? Oh, it's years. Yeah. Well, then it's years. Yeah, it's probably a couple years before he actually meets some Indians with Dr. Christian, right? I thought you meant when he went to Venezuela. And then it's even more years until he actually goes and who's the first Indians that he lives with? The Yukos, right? No. went to a different one. Yeah. He met the other missionaries. Yeah, that was with like, Dr. Christian. Yeah. But he still went the Indian. The first Indian. Yes, I said that he went. Yes. But I guess what I mean, he, he is just kind of learning. He's not, at, he, his goal wasn't to be a missionary specifically to those. He was kind of on, um, like, like when you visit a college to find out if it's the college you want to go to or um, if you went on a vacation somewhere you know you're experiencing stuff you're finding out what it's like but he's not really boots on the ground doing it very much right so he the yukos is the first time where he strikes out on his own and how does that go it goes not good at first why because they're like Yes. Why else is it not good? Oh, because they're not going Okay, right. So he he thinks that he has a specific group of Indians, the Modalones, to go to, which he's correct on. Why else does it not go well with the Yukos? If he wants to share the gospel with them, what does he have to do, Elise? Okay, what's he have to do to be able to talk to them? Know their language, right? They don't know Spanish, they don't know Latin. Okay, so he learns their language, right? So, perfect, right? They don't want to learn about God, though, because the other people. That was the other Indians with Dr. Christian. Oh. What's the problem? There's more than one Yuko language. That is a problem, right? What's the other problem? Well, are you guys, you guys are all taking a language, right, in school? No? Not yet? Oh, okay. Well, you can listen to them and get information about what it's gonna be like. What language are you all taking? Spanish. Everyone's taking Spanish, okay. We don't take, we're not, there's no Oh, that's fine. So, if you, how you guys have all are in, some of you are in your first year Spanish, right? Second, year, first, first. All right. What if I were to ask you to translate John three sixteen into Spanish? It depends on what it sounds like. Yeah. Because I know a lot of words, but 
Well, you know John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Oh, no. um, God is that He gave His only God. For so loved. I, no, I don't know. Oh, amor. Is love amor? I love. Yes, it is. Oh, I think no. Amor. That might be in French, though. I, it might be the same word in Spanish too. Okay. So I think you're already getting an idea, like you're not able to tell me that verse right off the top of your head. And you have a teacher teaching you how to conjugate verbs and whether art where articles go and that you have to switch the order of words like that, that you do from English. Think if you're a guy who is just learning and maybe they don't have a word for beloved. He'd have to come up with a new word of combining things. So he never even shares the gospel with the Yukos. Because he doesn't have a way to explain it to them well enough. Imagine, that's just trying to translate a verse, but he basically has to know the language well enough to explain concepts that they've never understood at all. And the Bible is already hard to... Right. Well, it's hard enough it a lot of words to like. explain it to another person who speaks your language than to teach it to somebody else that, right. a language you've just learned. So, how do you, th would you say he was successful in being a missionary with the Yukos? Not really. He tried. Okay. think about that hold on to that because it's going to be important now we've talked about God's plan for Bruce's life but also for all of your own lives and what can God's plan be sometimes in your life is it always not what you think it is okay that's good Bruce do 
if you were to actually look at the amount of minutes and hours he spends doing, what does he spend the most time doing, it seems like? Walking? Yes. Everyone spends the, a large amount of their life, a third, sleeping. Okay, during your waking hours. Walking? What else does he spend? No talking. I hope he's breathing all the time. Lays in a hammock. Oh yeah. Sits there all day. Even remember with the when he lived with the communist or with the other Colombian family where the boy said you can just come home with us, and he just sat there all day because he didn't know the language. He didn't have any friends. He laid in the world thing for a long time. Yes, and he was in pain at the same time, right? Trials and boring. Isn't that the best? Trials and boring. Yay! Okay. So, we have all these different emotions that we feel and physical things that happen to us through God's plan. <clears throat> but, all this stuff happens for a reason, right? We talked about the verse in Romans. What does that verse say? Do you remember it? We've talked about it at least two times in our series. Uh, I believe it's Romans 8. Chapter 8, sorry. Yeah, chapter 8, verse... Oh, let's see. I'll look in my notes quick. Is it that one? Verse 12? What's it say? I don't know. Nope. It's all things work together for good to those Yep, 28, 828, and and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Okay, so what does called according to His purpose mean? What is that referring to? Okay, what would that? What's another word for that that we've already got up here? Mission. Okay. Mission. According to his purpose for you, which would be your mission. Alright? And that means that all these things that you're going through work together for good to God's plan. So we see a lot of that in Bruce's life. Things that seem not even really a part of the plan, that they do work out. Um, amazingly to be part of God's perfect plan and in a way that you could never have planned it yourself. So, how do you know to follow that plan? How do you know which way to go? What door to go through? What door not to go through? Because 
Okay. Is there, what verse do you go to if you are sick and dying and you think that you're going to die if you don't leave the jungle? What verse tells you whether you should leave the jungle or not? There isn't one. No, I know. So, what do you do if your specific fork in the road in front of you isn't in the Bible? Okay. So if you pray, do you just sit there and do nothing? No. Did you guys... What if I said bicycle? Bicycle. Oh, you have to pedal. You can't just steer. That's what Levi said. Okay, why? Because pedaling makes you go. Steering doesn't. Okay, what is pedaling necessary for when you ride the bike? Moving forward. Moving forward, what does it also help you with? Balancing. Balancing, right? You can't just stand there on your bike with your feet on the pedals and not fall over. At least I can't. There's probably some wild freak out there that can do it, right? Yeah, you see people do it on a unicycle. They're very good at it. They've been practicing. We still need to but nobody here is a unicyclist. No. <laughs> All right? You need to pedal. You need to go forward. You need to do something and take action. And like Natalia said, pray. What do you pray for? For help, for guidance, okay, right? For him to show you the way or the way not to go. And then in faith, you have to step out and try to do what you gotta do. I didn't have this plan, but have you all seen Indiana Jones? No. I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen the show. Like, <laughs> You all know who he is. I've seen He's a treasure hunter. Yeah. Okay. And he gets all run over. Have you seen The Last Crusade, anyone? Where he's looking for the ark, or no, not the, for the uh, holy grail. Oh yeah, I've seen it. Is that like where he has to like replace it so it doesn't like? Yes. I've or no, that's the ark of the covenant. Yeah, that's an the statue. Well, anyways, there's a part where he's going through this cave, and he has his book that his father, who was also a archaeologist kind of researcher, that tells him what he has to do for each puzzle. Like there's a puzzle where he has to spell out Jehovah with letters on the ground. Is Indiana Jones like God-based? Mm, sort of. The treasures sometimes are God-based, oh. like the Ark of the Covenant or the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail. It's supposed to be the cup that um, somebody caught his blood the on the cross I've from. It's apocryphal. The Holy it's Grail is like in money. Yes, it's the same Holy Grail. So, anyways, he has his book and he does the steps and he misses, spells Jehovah wrong because he spells it with a J and there's no J in Hebrew where there's a Y. Jehovah doesn't with a J. It starts with a Y in Hebrew and it's spelled out in Hebrew. Anyways, so he almost dies there, but the book has the answers. He gets to this cliff and it's 
this part in the book, there's a drawing of a cliff and it, and he's got to get to the other side of it. And it says the, um, a test of faith and he's sweating because his dad is lying back there dead and he needs the Holy Grail to heal him. So he's trying to do, this is important that he's got to do this. And he says, leap of faith is the answer for this puzzle. There's just a big giant chasm in front of him. It shows a person walking out over. Oh. Another one. Third. Well, I leave the cap off. That's the problem. Oh. They, in the book, it shows a person walking out with nothing underneath him. And he reads Leap of Faith. Okay. I have no other answer. I can't go left <laughs> or right. And finally he goes. And he's standing on something in midair. And it's a piece of rock that you can't see because it blends in visually camouflaged with the cliff underneath it. So when you, the camera pans sideways and you can see that there's a stone thing and it pans back and it looks like he's walking on air. It's a good metaphor for sometimes you just have to take a step. You have to believe in what the truth you have in front of you and take a step. So that's what Bruce continues to do, right? Starts with the very little thing of he had no money for food and what does he find? $10 when he's going to go, um, where was he going? To the train? To the train, yes, to go. Yes. And <clears throat> Now we see that um, he is excited because he's finally met the Modalones, right? You guys talked about him getting there to the Modalones, that he, um, he's almost, he almost dies, right? And finally decides, I just have to leave. I feel like God is telling me that I have to leave or I'm going to die. Gets the bananas, right, that are sent him on the river that... Keeps him alive. Yep, just right. Perfect what he need. Bananas, if you don't know, people still, athletes and everyone still, the banana is a trusted food source when you are tired and you need extra energy. You need potassium for your muscles because it helps you to excrete the lactic acid that makes them sore. It was the perfect thing for Bruce at that moment. Um, and they were right, yes. Yes. So, he, and that, but then after he gets better, he goes back into the jungle, right? Right. And he meets an Indian that's 50 miles or more away from where he originally met, knew him. Oh, yeah, with the scar. With the scar, right? Like, Yep, and that again, God's plan, working all things together for good, and he is excited. He's like, I get to be a part, lays in the hammock that night, excited for what's next. And at first, that excitement lasts for a while. How many people read 13, 14, 15? So what is, excuse me, 
What does he first do when he's um, living with the Modalones in their little village? Huh. To Okay, yeah, so he's doing tricks, right, with the kids, like, pretending to pop his eye out and, like, well, you'll have to read it. I don't know. Oh. Yeah, simple tricks, you know, that you do with kids. He's got one, like, pretending like his arm is broken and, like, swinging around, and he's got other tricks like that, and that's fun, right? It gets him a good laugh. The kids love him helps him to get um, to get vocabulary words, right? It's not helping him with verbs or conjugation or grammar, but it is helping him at least to learn, okay, that's the word for arm, that's the word for eye. He's learning these things. And the problem is though that that stuff only lasts the excitement of that so long. You can only pretend to shine up your eye so many times. Even if they love it every time, you kind of get bored of it after a while, right? And day in and day out, it soon becomes just in this unbearable weight of boredom that he has. Where every day he's waking up, it's the same thing. And he says, I got to the point where I wish that the days were only three hours long and I could just go back to sleep because it's so boring and there's nothing to do for me. Because he's still struggling with the language. So he can't really talk. He can't have conversations with people. He can say, hey, I'd like a banana or not. He can't even say that. He can say banana. <laughs> and hope that somebody knows, oh, Bruce would like a banana. Sometimes what? Well, yes, we will get to that. He knew right? one thing in Modo Well, he, yes, he did. He knew um, that one phrase that it meant was like, um, you. Yes, <laughs> right, which <laughs> was the worst thing he could have said, right? But God worked despite that. So I have had lesser versions of this type of boredom. Um, there is a famous, not official saying, but a famous saying in the army where everybody says, hurry up and wait. Which means you hurry up, get everything you've done. It's got to be done right now, 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 now. Okay, wait until we need you. And then you sit there for hours and days just waiting. And then it's, hurry up, we need to do this right now. No, go, 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 go. And it's exciting. And then you sit there and you wait. And you wait. Sometimes you'll sit out there in the hot sun and the only option is to sit on the dirt and lean up against your rucksack, which is like your backpack. Or you could sit on your backpack. Or you could lay down and rest your head on your backpack. Or you could stand. And that's it. You can talk to the people around you that you've already spent weeks and weeks and months and months and there's not a lot to talk about because you can't even talk about things in the news or things that happen because you don't have any news or things that happen. So eventually you kind of run out of stuff. I had one assignment where we were all picked from different 
um, parts of the brigade. So it was nobody that I knew. There was one guy who I knew well that I was friends with and they picked a bunch of different guys, all like medium to high ranking officers and non-commissioned officers. And we were to go and evaluate people as they did a giant mock battle over an entire month at a base. So we were there to watch them and observe them, take notes, and give them an evaluation on how they did. Sometimes they would be daily ones and then ones at the end of the entire event. And part of this, what, and part of that was I evaluated a platoon of 44 people, evaluated the position that I had had a couple years ago, and I got a Humvee that I drove around by myself which you never do, except in this case you do because you're just observing someone. And I slept in the Humvee by myself because I wasn't part of the rest of the unit. And you did 12 hour rotations. So you would go out for 12 hours and then you would go back and hang out in a barracks, which is basically just a giant like warehouse with a bunch of bunk beds and lockers in it. And so I would evaluate this person, but sometimes the person I was evaluating, him and his platoon would just sit there all day long, all night long, waiting for their next event until they would move. So sometimes there was nothing to even evaluate. It was really boring. And it was cold because it was February. So did you have to like watch them talk to their buddies? Um, well, so think about, I would watch them like when they gave their mission to their guys each day, which sometimes would take 10 minutes, sometimes would take a half hour. And then sometimes they would have nothing else to do the rest of the day either. So they would just sit there and wait. And you don't want to, there's no point in being the creepy guy and just watching people sit there and wait for no reason. So I would go back and sit in my Humvee and wait for them to call me and say, hey, we're doing something for you to evaluate us on. It was very, very boring. I brought, and I'm glad I did this, I brought two books with me. Well, three books, I brought my Bible, but I brought two books that were A.W. Tozer wrote about the spirit of God and one that was just I think it was called The Pursuit of God. And it was just all about attributes of God and learning about God. And I read those. And they're things that I still use today. And sometimes things are boring. And along with that, your job can be to wait. Sometimes it is to sit there and wait and learn patience, how to be patient. Other times it's to be creative with your time and to find value in what you have at that moment. So, Bruce is in one of those moments where he has, is starting to learn 
and to work through, even though he might not recognize it yet, the value of the situation that he is in now. And we talked a little bit about this, that God is starting to reform how Bruce thinks about how Christianity works. What did he see missionaries doing before with the Indians? Trying to like make them... Make them like, like American culture. Yeah. Yes. Right. So that was the seed planted in him. They said, that didn't work too good. There's something icky about that that bothers me. Okay. He's, God is also trying to, sh- to change how Bruce understands how the world works. That everything isn't like America. Everything's not like England. Everything's not like India or China. There are different cultures. And most importantly, God is changing how Bruce understands how God works. That God doesn't work the same way every time with every person or even in every century. So, um, Sometimes what you have to go through is tough to change this. I want you guys to turn to Job really quick. Job is before Psalms and Proverbs, chapter 38. Briefly, a recap, refresher for you. Although you said you recently did, Job. Not very recently. Within your lifetime? So... At church. Well, then probably like, I think we did during the summer. So Job lives sometime, we think, after the time of Noah, probably before Abraham. <laughs> yes. And he is a super wealthy guy. He um, is a very good man. Everybody in his community likes him, respects him. He is also extremely dedicated to God that he makes sacrifices to God and prays for his children. I think he has 14, seven daughters, seven sons, something like that. And he prays for them every day. And one day, Job gets somebody... Well, behind the scenes, Satan says, you think to God one day, you think that Job is so great, but he just has everything good in his life. If he had a terrible life, he would hate you. And God says, okay, let's see how that works out. You make his life terrible. You can't kill him or touch him, but you can make his life terrible. Wait, if you can't touch him, it says nothing to him. Yeah, yeah but he, got... he does. That yeah, comes after later. After yes, because Satan comes back, yes. So, one day, Job is sitting there, enjoying his day. Great day. He gets messengers that all of his... There's a variety of things, but all your sheep just got destroyed. All, then another messenger runs up and says, All your camels were stolen. Then another messenger comes up and says, your 
your children were having a party in one of the buildings or houses and an earthquake happened and they all died. It collapsed on them. Just one thing after another. And it's really terrible. It's awful. And Job is sitting there and he's thinking, this is the worst. I, why is this happening to me? Why? I don't, I don't know what to think of this. I'm trying to figure this out. And God finally, he has a lot of friends friends that give him answers that aren't very good. And then finally, after um, like 35 chapters of his friends talking to him, God says, I'm going to give you an answer now. And that's what happens here in 38. For time's sake, we're not going to, we're just going to read a couple verses, but there's a whole chapter here. Uh, Let's read verse 1 through 6. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Says people talking who don't know anything. Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. What chapter are you? 38. Verse 4. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Okay, so we would go on. God continues, yes, it would take a long time to get there, and we don't have time. But he, you can read it yourself. So God just goes through and asks him, about the entire earth, pretty much, and says, do you, know, do you know how the earth was made? Do you know how they, I set the foundations of the earth? Do you know who measured it all? Do you understand why the dinosaurs are the way that they are? Do you understand where the rain comes from? He goes through and asks him all of these things, and in the end, Job finally says, I understand now that you are in control, that you have a plan, and that I am like nothing. I understand nothing of this. And Bruce is going through a time where he's not really sure why all this has happened. Why am I even here? I'm I'm helping these people with... Nothing to give them. I don't even can't even speak their language. So in chapter thirteen of verse ninety-six, or sorry, not verse, page ninety-six. <laughs> chapter thirteen, page ninety-six. He's feeling very bored, very low, like, and really he's at the point where he hates living with the modalones. He doesn't come out and say that, but that's how he feels. And this is where he finally, the Holy Spirit, God gets through to him. So 
He says, he had just walked out of the Modalone longhouse and an old, this picking up at the top of the page, an old lady came out of the house and walked over to me, grabbed, grinning a toothless grin. She rubbed up against me in a friendly way, jabbering. She smelled bad. I looked at her tangled, thick black hair. Lice were crawling through it. Her breasts hung down flabbily. I stood up and walked away from her, feeling sick. She followed and put her hands around her, my waist and hugged me. Then she laughed, a stupid lunatic laugh. I looked down at her hands. They were filthy. I gingerly took each one off me and walked a little way into the jungle. She followed at a distance, giggling. I couldn't even tell her to get lost. A simple thing like that. I couldn't say it. There wasn't a soul there who understood me. How long would it take? Three months? Four months? Would I be able to communicate well in a year? There's an old gospel song that says, if you can't bear the cross, then you can't wear the crown. I realized I didn't want the cross. I didn't, I wanted the crown with all its jewels without ever carrying the cross. Looking at the old woman, I wasn't sure that I wanted the crown. So, Holy Spirit reminds him of that song that he knew that says you've got to bear the cross if you want the crown. What's that mean, Natalia? What's it mean to bear the cross? Or what's the crown? Okay. It's a reward for doing what? How do you earn a crown? Okay, by following God. I wouldn't say doing good things because anybody can do good things. Right? Anybody can pick up the Ten Commandments and follow them. But it doesn't mean that you're following God necessarily. So, what is it to pick up the cross? That should give you a hint. To endure trials. Just for trials' sake? No. For, for what? Like, your mission. For your mission, right? Your, your cross is what God calls you to do. Jesus' mission was to... To us. die on the cross, to pick up the cross and die, carry it to Golgotha and die on it. And then rise again. So for us, our cross is whatever mission God has given us. And Bruce is saying, I really don't feel like carrying the cross right now. It was kind of something to wake him up and say, maybe I need to care about the cross. So he comes to terms with that. And now God is shifting his mind and his heart. Um, his mind and he's starting to correct how correct him in how to reach the motorloans so real quick how did the gospel spread in America thing called the great awakening People rode around on horses and went town to town and did what? Nope. 
closer. They preached, right? They went, they rode around people like, um, like George Mueller. He was in England, but, and uh, John Wesley. They rode around and they preached the gospel. How did the gospel spread after Jesus' death? Roads, okay. People walked on the roads and they got to a town and they did what? And what did they do? They preached, okay. Preaching is at the core, right? Spreading the gospel. Now, Bruce can't do that. He can hardly say three words in a sentence after a year of trying to learn their language. And this is a guy who knows languages, right? He is, where is it? A linguist. Can't figure it out. Now, God didn't give him a gift of saying, here's a miracle, you can suddenly speak the Modalon language. He could do that, right? If he wanted to. When else did he do that? Do you know, Elise? When did somebody suddenly be able to speak in different languages in the Bible. That is true. <laughs> Pentecost, right? Suddenly, when the whole, they were all in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came on them and they could speak languages they never knew before. How did they know? Because they started to, Peter went outside and preached to thousands of people that were right there in Jerusalem and people from all around the world could understand what he was saying. But they said he was drunk. Yes. It didn't make a whole lot of sense. So, Jesus could have done that with Bruce, right? Yeah. Well, that's not, again, he's, and God doesn't always work the same way. He does things how he knows is going to be the best way. So, instead, what God does is sends him a friend again. This time, does anyone know his name? Bobby. It will become Bobby. It's uh, Kobadiah, or Kobadra is his given name. And what happens is before Bruce, um, Bruce is, before he meets this boy, he's on the outside of the culture. It's like he's looking in through a window and watching them do their everyday thing. He kind of makes friends with the kids, but can't talk to them. The men kind of just ignore him, go off, go hunting, do their things. The women work at weaving and stuff like that. And he knows that if he just sits there and spends time with the women and children, he will never have any respect from the men in the group. That he'll never be able to reach them. And it's not going, he's never going to be able to, if he doesn't have their respect, they're never gonna to listen to the gospel from him. So by having this friend in, <coughs> Kobaidra, he eventually says one day when the whole village goes fishing, 
convinces Bruce to come with him. Says, come on, you got it. Not really. I'm sure he was saying that, but by motioning him and convincing him, got him to go fishing with him. And that's the first time where among the whole villagers in front of them, he is successful and catches a fish by spearing it. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Pretty sure. He was really bad at it at first. Um, and in the end, it gain, gains him respect from the village. And they say, huh, this guy is willing to put himself out, out there and try things that aren't things that he's used to. And then later on, as their friendship grows, Kobaidra invites him to this private ceremony where he becomes a man. And it's basically where all the young boys don't wear any clothes, but then when they become a man, they invite a couple close friends and their father gives them a loincloth in the jungle. And that's the symbol that they're now a man. And so Bruce gets invited to this, which is totally unusual. And then later on, their friendship begins to grow. He can finally, um, which Gideon brought this up, that one day he asks uh, Kobaidra, can you bring me a banana? And he brings him an axe. Yes, right. Which if you read, you'll know and you'll understand. And brings him and he's like, what? So then he holds his nose and says the banana again and he brings him a banana. And, he, and suddenly it clicks. He says, oh, this language is a tonal language. I have to use a different tone and say the same word and it means something else. They're unusual, but there are quite a few throughout the world. I don't even know how, I'm not somebody who could even do that. But, so he, this is what they're way harder to learn because you have to have more control over your voice to do it. But suddenly he realizes that's what the stumbling block that I had, that I couldn't learn this. And then he begins to actually be able to communicate with them because now he has the key to it. And along the way, he even learns Kobaidra's secret name. Now, every Motolone has a secret name that only their father and their closest friends know that they're given. And one day, um, Kobaidra tells it to him, which it's like Bobaba Bishora. It's, and Bruce can't say it. He tries it a couple times. Um, well, that's his new name from when he becomes a man. Um, and it, he shortens it to Bobby. The special name is, is like in the heavens. Yeah, a name, okay, so. name in the heavens. And um, Bruce is one of the only people in the whole world that knows this name. That's how close of friends that they become. And um, <clears throat> so he learns the language a lot as he gains these experiences and he becomes more embedded in the community. Um, <clears throat> so 
we see that God's plan is slowly being weaving his life in with the rest of theirs. And it seems like all this stuff along the way is very boring. It's been a year now, and he still has not shared the gospel with them, even with Bobby, because he still doesn't know the words. He would have to come up with new words to explain things. But all of this is him building a relationship with the community, learning how they live life, learning, understanding them so that he can explain things to them better. Um, so the last thing that happens, this is going to be set up for next week, is that there's this um, this Ebaratatura guy that they keep talking about. I don't know if I'm saying that right, by the way, but that's my closest that I can get. And he hears them keep, they keep talking about this guy almost like he's a god or something like mystical. And Bruce asks, who is this? And they say, well, he's the chief of all the chiefs, that, of all the Modalone chiefs, and he lives very far away. And Bruce says, well, I'd like to meet him sometime to Bobby. And Bobby says, oh, no, you can't. He'll kill you. And he says, why? He said, well, because we have a prophecy, a legend, that someday some, a guy, a blonde guy is going to come playing the flute and he's going to trick all the Modalones and lead them away to, to death and like eternal damnation. And he had played the flute before. And he says, well, he said, um, well, I'm not going to do that. He said, well, I don't, Bobby says, I don't think you are, but that's what they think. So that he'll kill you if he sees you. Huh? There are quite a few different ones, yes. Um, so eventually, he, Bruce convinces Bobby to take him, and Bobby and him take him on a trip. A lot like the trip where he first, do you need a Kleenex? There's Kleenexes right here. On a trip, just like when he was first taken by the Yukos to see the Motolones, where they travel for eight days, they don't stop. Well, Bruce gets very sick. He is um, weak and feels terrible. And then one day Bobby said, looks at him in his eyes while, they're, while they stop for the day and says, wow, Bruce, your eyes are so beautiful. And Bruce is like, what do you mean? He says, they're so yellow. Anybody know what that means? Medically? Yes, hepatitis. He has hepatitis, which if your liver is not working, if you don't get to a hospital, you will die. There is no cure. Because they're, they're yellow. He's never seen yellow eyes before. He says, wow, those are amazing. And he asks him, how did you do that? Can I do that? And Bruce is like, no, this is really bad. So Bruce is again in a position where he says, I'm going to die. I got to get out of here. Or do I keep going? He's trying to figure out what God wants him to do. 
and he realizes that even if you were trying to get out of the jungle, they're already eight days away from where he lives and even farther away from anywhere else. So he says, we're just going to keep going to get to this Abaratura guy who's going to kill me anyways, so I might as well go there. Maybe God has a purpose for this. So they finally get him there. He feels terrible. Brings him to this guy, and the guy looks at him, and Bobby says he's very sick, which is obvious because he can barely even stand. And Bruce is like, oh, is he going to kill me? And Bobby says, no, he's not going to kill you because we also have a like tradition that if you kill someone who is sick, then that's like bad luck on you forever. Yeah. Well, that's a different thing. So he, so he doesn't kill him, but they still don't like him. Yes. Well, even if you did that, because they have like black, black hair, like super black, shiny oh. hair. So anything is blonde to them, pretty much. So eventually, though, he hears he's laying there in the hut, and it's there. This village is on like a mountaintop where this guy is, and then he f hears a weird choppy noise in the air, and all the other guys are like oh no, that's the flute, and they all run away. They think that now Bruce is going to lead them away and to and destroy them. Bobby is terrified as well. Even though Bruce is his best friend, this is what his culture teaches him. And Bruce says, please, Bobby, just take me outside, because Bruce realizes after a while, that's a helicopter. That's the chopping noise of the helicopter. And Bruce doesn't know what he's going to do because he can't even move, can't even yell or raise his arm. But luckily enough, somebody, it was somebody he knew in the helicopter, a doctor that he met before, borrowed a helicopter from an oil company for the day just for fun and was out flying around and saw Bruce's yellow hair on this mountaintop and said, that's not an Indian, and decided to touch down and see what was going on. And then realized it was Bruce, took him to a hospital where if you read the rest of it, he does have hepatitis. He would have died if he got there even like a day later. Is cured faster than he should have been and is able to go back out into the jungle even though they told him you should never go in the jungle again because you'll just, your liver can't handle it anymore. Well, that's what you're going to get into next week and what happens with that. But it's amazing that God uses a helicopter, which is a miracle to Bruce. But at the same time, for the Motolones, it's prophetical. It's supernatural. And just it's just the beginning of how God is hidden within their culture, within their stories, and he is waiting to be revealed to them through Bruce's guidance. Without Bruce ever preaching like we think a sermon in front of a bunch of people. Bruce never does that for the Motolones in the entire time. 
Bruce never preaches to them. He has individual friendships. He talks to those people eventually about Jesus. And God instead uses the culture of the Modalones, their own culture, to bring them to understand Christ. All of this he does really just by living life with the Modalones, being an example, gaining their respect, and honoring them and who that they are. So, next week we will continue on with more. And you'll see, finally, how Bruce brings the gospel to the Modalones.